morning, TCC. All right. If you've got your Bibles or your Bible on your phone, if you will join me in Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the end of each row. Somebody be happy to pass that down to you. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. The Word of God says this. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray. God, we love you. And Lord, our prayer this morning is that the Holy Spirit will take the word of God and like a scalpel in the hand of a surgeon, will begin to cut away whatever is cancerous to our heart and to our soul. That, Lord, we will see Jesus as bigger and better, that we will incline our hearts toward him. So let our hearts not be declined or reclined, but let them be inclined this morning to you. So, Lord, we love you. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So last time I was at TCC and got the joy to preach here, and I love it. Um, the last time I was here, I remember being at the, at the 9 o'clock. And then I remember going to the second service. And I remember thinking the second service was a lot more interactive, was a lot more lively than the early service. So can we do that different this time? I want to be a little more interactive this morning. And so I want to start with a few questions. Start with a few questions. Um, by a show of hands, I won't call on you, so it's all right. You can raise it. How many of you like to dance? All right, all right. We got some dancers, all right. How many of you, I know there's some, how many of you when the music starts to play, you're like my 11, my 9, and my 6-year-old, you just want to floss just a little bit right where you are, right? I got, we got a couple. That's right. Um, how many of you, the only reason you want to go to a wedding is because you hope at the reception you just might get to do the electric slide? <laughs> don't raise your hand on that. <laughs> we don't want to know. Um, I actually saw, I see him sitting back there, I actually saw Pastor Hunter one time bust a move at the Batista wedding. He hit the floor. He's actually got some skills, so don't let him fool you. Um, <laughs> but some people, like me, don't like to dance. I do not like to dance. I have no rhythm. I will not dance. I have no rhythm. I will sing karaoke all day long. I love it. I'll sound like Shawn Mendes with a strep throat case or something, but I love karaoke, but I will not dance because I have no rhythm. Me dancing looks about like this scene right here. That's right. That's right. That's right. All right. We get it. <laughs> That's about what I look like when I dance. <laughs> the funny part about that scene is at the end when Will Smith looks at him and he's like, don't you ever, ever do that again. <laughs> but for those of you who like to dance, and in particular for those of you who like to pair dance, who like to couple dance, you know that there must be one who leads and there must be one who follows 
and that the two must remain in step with each other. Uh, there's a website called Dance Central. You know it's got to be legit. It says this, <laughs> lead and follow is how the man communicates to his partner what he would like both of you to do. If a man knows how to lead well and his partner knows how to follow well, the man can lead her through patterns she's never even seen before. Now, I know many of you, like me, you come here today and you feel like maybe your life feels a little out of step. My life feels out of step sometimes. There's patterns, there's twists, there's turns, there's dips, there's valleys that you and I haven't seen before. And many times they throw us for a loop and we don't feel like we're in sync. We don't feel like the rhythm's right, like we're going to fall. As you may remember from two weeks ago, um, Matt Benson did a great job describing how Chapter 5, verse 25 says, we must keep in step with the Spirit. And he actually springboarded from that verse, kind of backflipped back into chapter 5. And today we're going to do a front flip. We're going to cannonball from verse 25 of chapter 5, and we're going to splash right into chapter 6. So verse 25 of chapter 5 says this, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, every believer has the Spirit in them. But for you to thrive and for joy to abound and for love to overflow and for peace to overwhelm, we've got to keep in step with the Spirit who leads us and guides us through life's twists and turns and highs and lows and dips and spins. You see, the Spirit can lead you and I through difficult trials and unexpected turns of life. And in turn... Those trials actually become a platform for you and I to bear fruit for the glory of God. Somebody say with me, I need to keep in step with the Spirit today. Come on. The Apostle Paul wrote Galatians to say, all you need is Jesus. All you need is Jesus. Don't try and add works of the law to what he's done for salvation. You've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. So look to him alone, have faith in him, and live free in him. And in that freedom, that freedom will lead you to obey out of love and not to earn God's love because it has already been freely given to us in Jesus. Amen? Chapter 5 says you are free. 5.1, it says for freedom, Christ has set us free. Verse 13 says yet, now don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, rather through love serve one another. And he goes on to tell them in verse 16 then what life walking by the Spirit, motivated by love for Jesus, looks like and what it doesn't look like. And he reminds them that they all have the fruit of the Spirit in them if they're in Jesus Christ, the fruit of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And in verse 25, he says, Now, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Um, like I said, I can't stand dancing. I can't stand dancing, but, but listen to this. Love will cause me to dance. Love will cause me to dance. You say, what do you mean? Well, I can promise you every time my little nine-year-old girl, my baby girl looks at me with her big brown eyes, and I'm about to tuck her in bed, and this happens, and she looks at me, and she says, she says, Daddy, will you dance with me? I say, baby girl, I would love to dance with you. I would love to dance with you because I love you. It's true, I hate dancing. I hate dancing, but if my bride of 16 years comes up to me and she's got on some classic 80s love songs and she says, baby, will you, will you dance with me? I say, boo, I will dance with you. You tell me when, you tell me where, and you tell me what to wear because I would love to dance with you, baby. 
Love moves us to action. Love moves us to action. Paul says we must keep in step with the Spirit in verse 25. So as the Spirit moves and guides, we must follow, but not out of duty, rather out of the overflowing love and joy that we have in Jesus. Because we know that when we're in step with the Spirit, then the fruit of peace and of joy and of love will abound. So Paul says, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Now, isn't it mind-blowing that if you're in Christ, you have the Spirit in you? Isn't that crazy? And you can exhibit the fruit of the Spirit? I'm so glad the Spirit lives in us. It's like, it's like with leaves on a tree in the fall, my favorite time of year. Think about those leaves on the tree in the fall that begin to turn that bright yellow and that brilliant orange, two of my favorite colors that the leaves turn in the fall, those bold colors. Did you know that those two colors, those yellows and those oranges, were already present in the tree leaf? They were already there. They were just covered up by the green of the, from the chlorophyll. And when the light lessens at a certain time of year, the chlorophyll begins to leave and it begins, the green begins to fade away. And what you see is the brilliance and the beauty of the bright yellows and the bright oranges and the colors shine. Friends, you have the spirit in you, but sometimes something else needs removing for the colors to shine. Amen? So what's the biggest detriment to a colorful, spirit-filled, fruitful life and to our joy? Look at verse 25 and 26. If we live by the spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. You know what our biggest problem is? It's not going to come as a surprise to you, but it's our pride. It's our pride. I had the joy of walking with a brother. So exciting. One of the most exhilarating things I've experienced over the last couple of years. But I had the joy of walking with a brother um, from work as God graciously brought him to faith in Jesus. And part of our discipleship time was me asking he and his new bride to watch a series of DVDs called What Did You Expect? It's a marriage set from Paul Tripp, a biblical counselor. And um, one day I was walking into work. And this dude, um, he, he looked at me, he met me in the parking lot, and he looked at me, and he just said, I got it. I'm like, you got what? You mean back up? <laughs> it's like I, he's like, no, I get it. I get it. I said, what do you get? He said, I'm the problem. My heart is the problem. It's not hers. That brother was in a good place. He was in a good place because pride is our biggest problem, but a humble heart is the fertile ground for the fruit to thrive in. Somebody say, my heart is the problem. And Jesus is the answer. Now, what we'll see in today's text are two main ideas in this warning against pride that's going to kind of serve as the backdrop. In verse 1 and 2, there's this theme of bearing burdens from genuine love. And then we'll see in verses 3 through 5 that he continues this warning against pride that it turns out wasn't just a curtain serving as a backdrop, but is actually a blanket over this entire text. And I want to focus specifically on three characteristics of a person who's in step with the Spirit. Three characteristics of a person who is in step with the Spirit. You'll see them up there. The first one, a person in step with the Spirit has a humble heart. The second one, a person in step with the Spirit has a, a gentle spirit. And the third one, they have a genuine love for others. Now, friends, this is an opportunity today 
for the word of God to shine a spotlight on our hearts so we can see in high definition where pride may be present and so we can uproot it and guard against it as we seek to bear others' burdens from a heart of love. Now, when I was a kid, when I was a kid, my sister and I, we had, we were two years apart, we had some favorite shows back in the 80s. I don't know if you know it, some of you do, but the 80s had some good shows. We had some favorite shows back in the 80s. I put a few of them up here for you. You remember some of these? Top left, who we got? Good times. You remember JJ? What'd JJ say? Dynamite, that's right. All right, what we got right here? Anybody know? Different strokes? Arnold? What did Arnold say to Willis? What you talking about, Willis? That's right. All right, what we got up here? Gilligan's Island. Too many times in my life people have told me I look like Gilligan, and that's no joke. <laughs> Just got to laugh at that, right? <laughs> uh, what we got right here? It's one of the best ones. Sanford and Sons. Right? Fred Sanford had a heart attack in every show. Oh, great. <laughs> they were great. But 80 shows rocked. 80 shows rocked. I feel sorry for every one of you that grew up on Hannah, Montana. 80 shows were awesome. We had the shows, but there was one thing we lacked. There was one thing we lacked. Couldn't see them in high definition. We had no HD. There was minimal clarity because everybody had these things. Some of you don't know this, but everybody had these things called bunny ears. And you put these bunny ears, rabbit ears, on a TV that looked like a refrigerator, and there was all kinds of static on the screen. So it might look like you're watching Good Times, and it might look like there was ants crawling around on, on Flo's head, and then down here there was a lightning bolt going through the screen, and you'd have to keep going and adjusting the bunny ears because we lacked the ability to see with clarity. Now, you and I both came here today facing many distractions. And this is an opportunity for us today, right now, under God's word, to recalibrate, to check your heart, to check my heart, because pride seeps in very subtly. Pride seeps in subtly. Did you know that even the most experienced pilot, those who have done it for years, 30 years, are prone to and experience something at times called spatial disorientation? And let me tell you what that is. It's when they are in the air, and they lose a frame of reference, be it the horizon or whatever it is, they get in thick clouds, whatever it is, they lose their point of reference, and they feel like they're flying level. They feel like everything is okay, but their feelings are often wrong, and many times they'll be going straight down toward the ground, toward a crash. And only one thing for the most experienced pilot will help them to recalibrate is looking at their instruments. That's the only way they'll know up from down. For us, we've got to allow the Word of God to recalibrate our hearts so that we're in step with the Spirit and so we can see in high definition what's going on right here inside our hearts. Verses 1 through 5, let me read them again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, you're like spiritual? Is he talking about varsity Christians? Because I feel a little JV. I might be a little elementary school here, right? That's not what he's talking about. You who are spiritual, he's talking about believers who have the spirit of God in us, and all believers do. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he's something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So, verse 1, there's two parties. There's two parties in verse 1. There's those who are the one who is caught in some kind of sin, and the ones he's asking to care for them as agents of restoration. Now, it's interesting. Most of this text deals not with the person hung up in the sin, but with the one being called to help restore that brother or sister. See, as we live in community together, there's going to be times where we're on either side of this coin. There'll be times because of our hearts, we're on either side of this coin. We all have times where we need someone to gently speak in and encourage us toward repentance. And we all have times we need to gently speak into someone's life with the motive of love and the aim of restoration. But notice in these verses how Paul mostly addresses the one who's called to help restore a brother or sister. Now, why is that? I think it's because it's so easy for the seeming righteous one to have pride seep in, to become self-righteous, to become conceited, judgmental, and critical, feeling better about ourselves as we compare ourselves to the other person. See, chapter 5 ended with a call to keep in step with the Spirit and a warning to guard against pride. And now we see the same blanket, the same banner over this text in chapter 6. Like we said earlier, the first characteristic of a person in step with the Spirit is a humble heart. Chapter 6, verse 1, he says, keep watch on yourself that you may not be tempted. In other words, know your own weakness and potential for sin and guard your heart. And we also see the call to a humble heart in verse 3. He says, if anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. In other words, don't be deceived. See your heart clearly and accurately in high definition. And know that anything good in you is by the grace of God. And then verse 4, it actually sounds like the opposite of verse 3, but it's not. Verse 4 says, let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. So you're like, well, is he now saying we should boast? Because that doesn't sound right. No. In Galatians 6, 14, Paul says, he says, I boast in nothing but the cross. Nothing but the cross. God's grace. So he's not telling us here to boast. He's just saying, don't measure and compare yourself against others. Don't get puffed up by being better than others. If there's something good in your life, don't let it be deemed so compared to their failure or weakness. Verse 5 says, for each will have to bear his own load. That just means that we'll each be responsible on the day of judgment for what we did. We can't lessen the load of our sin by comparing ourselves to our neighbor. It won't matter what Reggie or Susan or Jill or Bob what sin struggles they had that seem worse than yours won't make any difference. You see how pride creeps in and how we allow ourselves to be puffed up by comparing ourselves to others. So subtle. Yes, these five verses, they are about bearing others' burdens in love, but the blanket over them is a warning to guard against pride in our hearts. And in the end, God will judge perfectly, not based upon just what we did but why we did it. And that which was motivated by pride, by comparisons, it doesn't please and honor him. That done from a hidden heart of pride may, may look like we achieve something great now, but in the end, it'll be exposed as fraud and wiped away. When I was in elementary school, when I was in elementary school, I had a friend come over one time. 
I was about seven, a little second grader. He came over. I remember we were playing in the side yard. We were playing in the side yard, and he said, he started kind of bragging, like, I can do something. I can do, got something I can do better than you. I was like, oh, what's that? What's that? And he challenged me to a contest. He said, I can pee-pee higher than you. I'm like, you heard me. He, he challenged me to a pee-pee contest. That's right. He said, I can pee higher than you. I said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, but you're a second grader. This is a big deal. You don't back down from a peeing contest. So I said, I will give it my best shot. And literally, I guess. And so I, I gave it a good 45 angle. Did the best I could. Got as high as I could. It was all right. I did all right. I did all right. And then he, he looks at me. And he, you understand why I still remember this, right? He, he looks at me and he does like a little halfback walkover. And he aimed for the moon, and he, he went straight up, and he won the contest, but in the end, it wasn't worth it because my mama was literally wiping pee-pee off his face with a towel. With a proud heart, we may achieve, we may win much now, but in the end, it won't be worth it. It'll be wiped away. God will expose it in the light for what it really was and it'll be wiped away paul says don't be conceited with a heart of pride don't compare don't envy a person in step with the spirit has a humble heart so the humble heart doesn't compare to others by the way our standard is jesus and none measure up except by faith in him and his righteousness applied to us the only way. There's always somebody better than us. There's always somebody worse than us. We can look in the Bible and see all these guys who, man, look, he's a lot holier than me. You know, you look at Isaiah, a lot, lot better than me, yet when he saw the glory of God, what did he do? He fell down and said, I am undone because God is holy. Our hope's not in comparing where we get puffed up because we look a little better or we despair because they one-upped us. Our hope's in staring gazing at a resurrected Savior who wore our flesh perfectly and gave us his righteousness through faith so that we now have the Father's complete and final approval forever. Also in verse chapter 6, verse 1, the humble heart is keenly aware of our own weaknesses, my own weakness. It's amazing how quickly pride can well up in our hearts. Just last Sunday, just last Sunday, um, we had a white elephant party in our small group that we, that we had through our church. Our, um, if you're not in a small group here at TCC, man, it was a blessing when we were here. We were in one at the Breggy's house, and that's where I learned what a white elephant gift exchange was, where you give somebody else your junk. That's what it is. You re-gift it and give it to them and laugh at them. <laughs> and we had one of those at our house for our small group. And there's this guy in the group. He, he two, ten and a half, three years ago, he retired from Major League Baseball. And he played for several teams, played for the Toronto Blue Jays. And um, he was up in Toronto. And the guys up there said, man, you got to get with the culture. You need to get some cool shoes. So he was like, all right, I guess I do. So he went out, and they told him what to get. He went out, and he bought this nice pair of shoes. And so he, uh, he didn't like them, though. <laughs> Never wore them. Wore them like once or twice. His wife didn't like them. She's like, you don't look right in those. Anyway, so we go White Elephant Gift Exchange, and um, I open up this big box, and I pull out, <laughs> had a bunch of corn in it. Then I pull out this trash bag. That I pull it out, and it has two big old shoes in it. And I look at them. I'm like, man, those are Nikes. Okay, I hadn't had Nikes in a long time. And so I'm like, these are Nikes. That's cool. 
And then I look at them, I look at the tongue, I'm like, these are KDs. You're like, K-who? You're like, K-Swiss? No, these were KDs, Kevin Durant's. And so I, I, I pull out these, and I asked him what size they are. They were my size. I'm like, okay. But to me, they were just a free pair of shoes. They were just a free pair of shoes. I'm like, man, I needed some shoes. These are good. So I didn't think a whole lot about it. I put them on. After small group, my son comes down. He's 11. He's cool, you know. So he walks down, and he looks at me, and he's like, Dude, Dad, you got KDs on. I'm like, I got KDs on. I, I, still, I got them on today. I'm preaching them. <laughs> I, I, I got to wear them like the young folk now. I got to put my, my pants behind the tongue. <laughs> I didn't walk in here like that. <laughs> he said, you got KDs on. All of a sudden, I just was happy to have a free pair of shoes. All of a sudden now, I got a little swagger. I got a little puffed up. <laughs> I was walking around the house. I was joking, too, but I was, I was for real, too. I walked by my wife, and I was, I was strutting, and I was like, I got KDs on. My son said, I look cool. And um, he looked at me, and he's like, now we got to get you some tight pants. I was like, I was like boy, don't ever say that again. You put, put tight pants on these chicken legs. You won't be able to see me. But you see what happens. Pride, it springs up quickly and subtly. When we're aware of how weak we are, we're slower to criticize another because we realize it's only by God's grace we don't struggle with exactly what they are. And whatever they struggle with, I promise you, I struggle with the very same root sins, though outwardly may manifest itself differently. When we have a humble heart and we know our own weakness, it reminds us that if we had had faced the same difficult circumstances that they faced, we would likely struggle just like they are. We're not better than them. We have no right to criticize, but rather we should have compassion. We often attribute ourselves, this is important, we often attribute ourselves, our success to us. Look what I did. Look where I got myself. But many times, it's just that we did not have the life that they had. When we realize we're not better than them, that we'd likely be the same or worse with their situation, then our response is not pride, but compassion leading to advocacy and action to help change their tragic situation. The number two characteristic of a person in step with the Spirit is a gentle spirit. A gentle spirit. Verse 1, brothers, if anyone is called in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Now, when I, when I read this, I'm like, you know, gentleness doesn't sound so hard when we're confronting somebody lovingly who's in a sin pattern if we have a humble heart. It just doesn't sound that hard. You know, okay, man, he's, I know he's been cheating on his taxes, but I, I need to go talk to him about that. Yeah, that doesn't, that doesn't intimidate me that much. Um, man, I see that he's been speaking unkindly to his spouse. I need to go talk to my brother gently and lovingly about that. But think about this. What about when it comes to what they said at work behind your back about you? Or teens, what about when they went from roasting some other kid's mama on the playground and now they're talking about busting on your mama? Now you want to what? You want to rage. Now you want to rage. Now I want to go into a rage, especially when you go to them initially in kindness and they falsely accuse you or slander you or demean you, right? So here's a question. Where does gentleness come from now? You know, seemed easy earlier. Now, I'm not talking about getting run over where you just lay down and like, hey, just trample on me. But how do we still maintain a gentle and loving spirit 
as we deal with our brother or sister in Christ. The fruit's in you, right? We don't get to pick and choose. It's like, I got love and I got peace, but man, I ain't got no gentleness. The fruit's in you. It's one. It's the fruit of the Spirit. But all I want to do in that moment is rage. Here's my answer. Here's my answer. Here's where gentleness springs from. When we receive that kind of treatment, we must have a trust and rest in God as the perfectly righteous judge, and we must trust him to enact justice and ultimately make all wrongs right. And I'm going to give you an example from parenting because that's where all my examples come from these days. Uh, my boys, once in a while, they'll get in a little, they'll get in a little exchange. <laughs> it's a nice way of putting it, right? I got 11 and a 6-year-old, so you can imagine who ends up on the short end of that. I'll hear my 6-year-old screaming, yelling. He's in a rage. He's yelling at, at the older brother. You did this to me. He's screaming. His face is red. I walk in there. It's always in the same room, <laughs> always by the video games. I walk in there, and I look at him, and I say, Bryson, I say, buddy, I need you to tell me what's going on, man. I need you to settle down. I need you and your brother to, we got to work through this. We got to reconcile here. And he won't. He can't. He's in a rage. He's still screaming. He's still yelling. Let me tell you what I've learned. The only thing that will settle him down is when I look at him and I say, Bryson, I say, I'm going to talk to your brother. I'm going to take care of this. Whatever happened, whatever he did, I want you to know, buddy, that I'm going to give the appropriate consequence. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to make it all right. I'm going to enact justice here. And as soon as I say that to him, every time he starts to dry up because he has just, he has just released this to me, to somebody who's in authority, who has the ability to enact justice on his behalf. He couldn't move forward in loving restoration until he knew he did not have to take vengeance in his own hands. There's someone with a higher authority that he can trust. Number three characteristic of a heart in step with the Spirit is a genuine love for others. A genuine love for others. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The point of this passage is care for others through burden bearing out of love. Why do I say genuine love? Why do I say genuine love for others? It's, it's simple. It's because we don't fulfill the law of Christ as Jesus simply by burden bearing. We don't fulfill the law of Christ simply by burden bearing. We fulfill the law of Christ when we bear burdens from a right heart, as Jesus talked about all throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Why we do what we do matters. Therefore, we must keep in step with the Spirit and walk with a humble heart, a loving heart, and a gentle spirit. So, Let's ask this question. Where do we get the strength to do it? Man, that seems tough now. Where does the strength come from? And the answer is the gospel. It's the gospel. When we see how Jesus entered into our burdens, it'll humble us, and we'll want to extend the same grace to others. You see, Jesus is both our example and our enabler. He is our pattern, and he is our provision. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Think of his gentle, humble, and loving heart as he came for you. He was with the Father for eternity, had everything. Yet he gave it up for you to come and take on flesh in this fallen world for you. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor voluntarily, right? So that you by his poverty might become rich. He didn't just humble himself by becoming human. He was born a lowly Jew 
a despised people, in a, in, a, in a barn to a family of no pedigree, with no lineage, with no clout, with no status, with no education, all this to show his humility. His humiliation was our only possible means of reconciliation, restoration. He had to lower and humble himself for your heart to be raised from ashes and from mine. And unlike me and you, he never bucked against God's authority but joyfully submitted to God in every single moment, even though he experienced more heartache, more pain, more suffering, more humiliation than you and I ever will. He had a humble heart. Did he have a gentle heart? Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How gentle-hearted was Jesus? Think about this. Think about the people you know suffering at the end of their life. I want you to think about that for just a second. I, I had a season where I was blessed to be a hospice chaplain and sat with many people as they were passing away. And, and one thing I observed is that at the end of life, people, they get a little more ornery. They get a little more short-tempered. They have a quicker fuse. They're a little more impatient. Why? Because they're hurting. (laughs) It's understandable, right? They're in pain. They're suffering. Now think about Jesus hanging on the cross. In his moment of highest agony and pain, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Think about the man beside him as Jesus was on the cross, suffering, hurting. Man placed his faith and his hope in Jesus, and Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Think about his gentle spirit, even in his weakest moment. He is gentle-spirited, only bent on you being reconciled and restored. Did he exhibit perfect love? Of course he did. Love is what drove him to the cross. Love for the Father and love for you. Jesus says in John 10, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Greater love has no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. John 15, talk is cheap. Jesus demonstrated his love. We need to sing that song a little bit more, Jesus Loves Me. Somebody say, Jesus loves me this morning. Uh. So he is our example, he is our example, yet he is also our enabler. He enables you to move towards your neighbor. Anyone overtaken by sin or bearing a heavy burden in the same way he took on flesh and moved into our world to bear our greatest burden. So how is he our our enabler? How is he our enabler? There's a couple of ways. When he conquered death, it meant this life is not all there is for you. Now you're free to give more time and more treasure to help lift your neighbor's burdens because what we give here only builds treasures in heaven. How about this? When he conquers sin's power over you, it meant you no longer have to bow down to selfishness and it frees you to love your neighbor even when burden bearing is an inconvenience, and it is many times. How about this? When he restored you, To a right relationship with the Father, it meant your identity is secure, so now you can love others even when they don't love you back, even when they slander or misunderstand you, because you now have God's forever approval, and he's singing over you no matter what others say. 
Elise Fitzpatrick says this, we now stand before God alive, not dead, cleansed, not vile, whole, not shattered, and welcome, not sent away. We stand in complete righteousness and holiness, no longer dead in our trespasses, but trespasses, but completely and eternally alive in him. And we're invited to live our whole life under his benediction, his smile, and his love. Isn't that a good invitation? And the more we remember and the more we focus on that, the more our lives will overflow with humility, with gentleness, and love towards our neighbor. So do you see how moving toward and gazing upon our restorer frees us to bear burdens and be agents of restoration as we walk in step with the Spirit bearing beautiful fruit? Now remember the leaf. Remember the leaf that turns in the fall, that bright orange and that bright yellow. And it only turns as the light lessens and as the green fades away. For you and I, it's the exact opposite. We bear the beautiful colors of fruit that's in us, not as light lessens, but as we gaze deeper into the light of Christ, our restorer, the lifter of our greatest burden. So we know God calls us to bear burdens, to care for people through gentle rebuke with humble hearts and hearts of love. But briefly, let's just get a little more specific about some questions we can ask ourselves to check our hearts before we even consider addressing sin in another person. We've got some questions up on the screen here. These are from a book called When Sinners Say I Do by Dave Harvey. Here's the first one. Have I prayed for God's wisdom and acknowledged my need for his help? Here's the second. Are my observations based upon patterns of behavior or merely a single instance? We're not sin hunters, right? We're addressing a pattern in somebody's life that's damaging to them. Number three, am I content to address only one area of concern, even though I'm aware of several? Okay. Number four, am I committed to making incisions no larger than absolutely necessary? What he means by that one is not to overwhelm them with examples of how many times you've seen them fail in that particular area, not to heap condemnation on them. Number five, am I prepared to humbly offer an observation rather than an assumption or conclusion? And number six, is my goal to, uh, to promote God's truth or my preference? Now, if you're not a note taker, didn't get a chance to get that, come see me after the service. I email it to you. I'd be glad to. I'll send it back out to you this evening. But if today you're here as a follower of Jesus and you see that you've been overtaken by some sin, repent and allow God to be the lifter of your head. Gazing upon the beauty of Christ is the process the Spirit uses to transform you and to loosen the strongholds of sin in your life. Look at what he's done. And in the freedom of your new identity, Run from sin and run to him over and over and over again. And if you're one who has been proud, if you've been harsh toward others, if you've been self-righteous or quick to throw stones or impatient or slow to show grace, if you've talked down to or looked down upon others or have had a critical spirit toward others rather than a gentle, humble, loving heart that desires restoration rather than revenge, then Friends, repent, look to Jesus, walk in his mercy and grace, and go with the humble heart to be restored to your brother or to your sister. And if you're here today, 
and you have never known here in your heart this love through faith, let today be the day of salvation. I plead with you. Let today be the day of salvation. Give your heart to Jesus. Now, as we think about keeping in step with the Spirit, one of the greatest forms of artistic expression is an art form, a dance called step. It's called step. Check this out. wish I could dance like that. When step is performed, the beauty of this artistic expression is in the unity of the artist. That they're stepping in rhythm, that they're stepping in sync with one another in the dance is what makes it a beautiful sight and a beautiful sound. Just as the art form of step is a beautiful expression so too is our life when we're in step with the Spirit. So I want us to take an honest, a clear, a high-definition look at our hearts this morning. Where do you see pride? Where do you see pride? Do you have a gentle spirit? Are you filled with love, genuine love? If we walk in step with the Spirit through life's twists and turns and we rest in His grace, then our peace and our unity and our burden-bearing love will scream loud to the world that Jesus is our hope, that He is our restorer, and that He is the satisfier of our souls. Are you in step with the Spirit today? Let's pray.